Good morning at 6 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. A legal victory for the Ontario Nurses Association. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Maintenance side roads are trouble-free across the city this morning. If you have travel plans on the 400 series highways, they're moving well through the city west to Sarnia and east to Brantford. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Mostly cloudy, sunny breaks today. I'm not going to go any higher than 10. I hope we make it higher, but I'm not going to call it that way. Just because there's a stalled warm front to the south of us, we're still on its cold side. There's a northeast wind. Everything works against a temperature much higher than 10. One degree tonight clear. Then sunny tomorrow with increasing cloud in the afternoon, 12. Chance of showers tomorrow night. Rain Sunday and 8. And Monday, partly sunny, 11. Today's high, 10. Right now we are sitting at 3 degrees. There are new details about the killer's rampage in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead. Sources tell Global News the gunman forcibly restrained his girlfriend Saturday night, but she escaped. Global's Mercedes Stevenson says the search for the suspect stretched from late Saturday night to Sunday morning. I have multiple sources telling me that an emergency response team member, which is the super elite RCMP tactical teams, was driving with a canine member, one of the dog handlers. They pulled into a gas station, looked up, and saw the gunman in the car across from them. Uh, he then went for his gun, the gunman. Uh, the RCMP were very fast reflexes, and the member of the emergency response tactical team um, shot him at relatively close range and killed him before he he could get a shot off. The gunman evaded police by driving in a car identical to an RCMP cruiser. Ontario Superior Court has ordered four long-term care facilities, including Henley Place here in London, to follow directives given by the province's chief medical officer of health after an injunction was filed by the Ontario Nurses Association. Global's Erica Vella has more. Four long-term care homes have now been ordered by the court to follow directives from the province's chief medical officer of health. The Ontario Nurses Association says members who worked at Eaton Anson Place, Hawthorne Place and Henley Place expressed concerns around the availability of personal protective equipment and they also expressed concerns around the lack of infection control measures at these long-term care facilities. We received a statement from Responsive Management Inc and they say they are comfortable with the decision from the Ontario Court. The ONA says at this point they are willing to work with the long-term care facilities in protecting both the staff and residents. The number of deaths related to COVID-19 in London and Middlesex has climbed to 26 after health officials reported three new deaths yesterday. The health unit said two of the deaths were reported at long-term care homes, while one was reported at a retirement home. Just four new cases were reported yesterday, bringing the total number... <clears throat> Just four new cases were reported yesterday by the Middlesex London Health Unit, bringing the total number of confirmed cases in the region up to 347. Premier Doug Ford choked back tears yesterday as he said the province's long-term care system was failing its residents. Moments later, his office publicly confirmed that his 95-year-old mother-in-law, who lives in one of the facilities, has been diagnosed with COVID-19. Hundreds of long-term care residents have died of COVID-19 in the province, and still more are infected. Ford says the system needs to be changed, but for now, the focus is on protecting those who are living in the facilities. 
Ottawa is sending in the military to help provinces deal with COVID-19 outbreaks at long-term care homes as a temporary fix. The Prime Minister says the federal government will respond to provincial requests for armed forces assistance. But Justin Trudeau says the measure is an indication that governments are failing seniors. And the outgoing leader of the Conservatives is refusing to address controversial remarks by a member of his caucus who is also seeking to replace him as leader. Andrew Scheer says he will not be commenting on comments from any leadership contenders. Derek Sloan is a rookie Conservative MP from rural Ontario and one of four candidates for the leadership. He has suggested Canada's chief public health officer should be fired, accusing her of working on behalf of China, not Canada. Dr. Theresa Tam was born in Hong Kong. Sloan's challenge of her is being labeled as racist. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Joe Burrows, the one. The Cincinnati Bengals have taken the LSU quarterback with the first selection in the NFL draft. It's the third straight year in which the reigning Heisman Trophy winner was taken first overall in the draft. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young was taken second by Washington. And the Detroit Lions grabbed cornerback Jeff Okuda with a third pick. Time now for a market minute and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Blake Lambert. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed down 37 points at 14,251. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 39 points at 23,515. The S&P 500 Index was down 1.5 points at 2,797, while the Nasdaq Composite was down 0.6 of a point at 8,494. Japan's Nikkei fell 167 points today to 19,262. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 70.95 cents U.S. Coming up next, the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning, everybody. I hope your day is going along nicely. Hope you're Early morning is going along nicely, not too far into the day yet. Mix of sun and cloud today, high at 10. Clear tonight, low of 1. A sunny tomorrow, cloudy in the afternoon, a high of 12. Chance of showers uh, late, so uh, not too bad on Saturday. Rain on Sunday, and then not too bad again on Monday. I'm starting to wonder if I'm doing the work-from-home thing wrong, and I'm waking up too early. I was uh, talking to a friend the other day, and they were asking me, "So, what's what's it like working from home? You must uh, you must like it. It's pretty easy. Just uh, roll to bed and go onto the radio." And I was I said, "You know, I've been waking up at three thirty in the morning, which is close to what I was doing beforehand. Uh, maybe I was getting up a little bit earlier. It depends. I mean, I've been doing different types of morning jobs recently." And uh, they were surprised I was getting up so early considering I literally, uh, you know, my studio is here. It's steps away. And then I started to wonder, well, am I doing it wrong? But, I mean, I've got, like, I I don't think so, but I got my own process to to get ready for the show, even though a lot of this, most of the show is all set to go by the time I go to bed, you know, the night before. We are going to be talking about uh, sleep on the program today in the second hour. We'll be talking to a sleep expert about um, whether or not we are sleeping better or worse during the pandemic. Uh, spoiler alert, it's worse. It's not all tied to anxiety, though. 
So uh, that'll be an interesting conversation. Changing up your routine in general can lead to some sleep issues. And certainly a lot of people's routines have been changed with all of this. So that'll be coming in the second hour of the program. We've got lots of good stuff on the show today. We'll be joined by uh, David Ayers in the third hour. He is, of course, the uh, the regular guy who became a hockey hero uh, two months ago. Does it feel like David Ayers stepping onto the ice with the Carolina Hurricanes happened only two months ago? It did. It feels like two years ago. But he is a kidney transplant uh, patient. He is working with the Kidney Foundation of Canada to raise some money to help uh, kidney patients who need to go for dialysis treatments uh, travel and get to their treatments because that's become much more difficult during the pandemic. So we will be talking to him in the third hour of the program. We got a lot of good stuff coming on the show today. Something I saw uh, yesterday, which was interesting, or even this morning when I was uh, looking around for different uh, items to share with all of you, is airlines are considering what air travel will look like after the pandemic. And one of the things they are considering getting rid of is the middle seat. United, Delta, and EasyJet in the United States have all announced plans to do away with the middle seat in their economy class cabins during the pandemic. And there are, you know, some people are wondering if this is what maybe happens once the pandemic is over. And all I could think of was, well, maybe, but if so, I just wonder how they're going to find a way to screw us. Because they're not removing a seat out of the plane and losing money from all of this. So there's got to be a way where if that is something that takes hold after the pandemic and after social distancing is no longer the theme of the day, if that will continue. I would be a little bit surprised if it did, but maybe it does. Also, a really interesting uh, survey out this morning that says one in 10 Canadians believe a conspiracy theory about the novel coronavirus. So the six uh, theories that were identified in one study were the government is hiding important information about coronavirus, that coronavirus is intentionally made in a lab, that it was manufactured in a lab by mistake, that the pharmaceutical industry is involved in the spread of the coronavirus, that uh, coronavirus medication already exists, and that there is a link between 5G technology and the coronavirus. The uh, the part about this all being in a lab is something we've talked about before, and they can they can trace because they do have you know that the, they do have the virus, and they can study that for the vaccine. They can trace it to a type of, I believe it's horseshoe bat. And so they could tell if it's, so this is my way, my unscientific way of saying it's not lab produced. We've talked about the 5G technology link before uh, when we were sharing an interview that uh, Anthony Fauci did from the United States. Uh, It is not true. I can understand why, you know, conspiracy theories would take hold during the pandemic in general. It's interesting. Um, I read a couple of years ago when the Democrats are in power 
in the United States, there is an increase in, consp in conspiracy theories amongst Republicans. And when the Republicans are in power in the United States, there is an increase in conspiracy theories amongst Democrats. And I would imagine something similar would be true for Canadians. In that, if you the people that you feel best represent you aren't in power, then there is something afoot. And for, for some people, that could be uh, the case. But generally, you know, conspiracy theories are kind of born out of people being a little bit scared, being unknown, unsure of what's going on. And so you look for answers and you find answers in uh, many different ways. Some which are accurate, some which are not. But that is an interesting um, little piece I saw today. And I think something we will, we don't have a, whole, a lot of time to follow up on it today, but next week I want to get into the conspiracy theory aspect of it all because um, it could be a fun conversation. For the meantime, though, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Good to have you along with us today. Here are the COVID-19 headlines you need to know this morning. The number of deaths related to COVID-19 in London, Middlesex, rose to 26 on Thursday. Here is a first for what we had in the region. We had three new deaths, but only uh, two new cases. The health unit said two of the deaths were reported at the long-term care homes. Well, one was at a retirement home. Oh, sorry, no. There were four new cases. My bad. I misread. Uh, health officials also reported four new confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the region, including two linked to long-term care homes, one resident and one staff member. That brings the total number of confirmed cases to 347. Eight people also reported to have recovered, bringing the total to 263. That's nearly half of all of our confirmed cases. Local long-term care and retirement homes account for 42% of the reported deaths in London and Middlesex and 26% of the confirmed cases. The number of COVID-19 outbreaks declared in London and Middlesex since the start of the pandemic now stands at 15 after a second outbreak was declared Wednesday at Victoria Hospital. London Health Sciences Centre says the outbreak is, the hospitals, is in the hospital's oncology unit on the seventh floor. Another outbreak at the hospital declared April 11th in the geriatric behavioral unit remained active as of Wednesday. There are 185 at least outbreaks that have been declared so far at long-term care homes across Ontario with at least uh, 1,933 residents and 889 staff testing positive and 358 residents and one staff member, uh, unfortunately, passing away. Uh, Premier Doug Ford uh, choked back uh, tears yesterday when uh, talking about uh, the long-term care home system. Uh, his office uh, did uh, confirm yesterday that his 95-year-old mother-in-law, who lives in one of the facilities, has been diagnosed with COVID-19. It is a uh, scary situation. Uh, Ford said the system needs to be changed, but for now the focus is on protecting those who are living in the facilities. The situation in our long-term care homes, not just in Ontario, but across the country, 
has been bubbling underneath the surface for quite a while. It's uh, sad that it took the pandemic to um, bring what hopefully is the change that is necessary for the industry to come. But um, it is uh, scary and sad for all those in that position where you have a loved one in a long-term care home. If you do, I hope they're okay and our thoughts are with you. We've been talking about this a lot on the program, uh, the idea of money essentially bailing out municipalities. Well, the uh, Federation of Canadian Municipalities says municipal budgets are on the brink of financial crisis due to COVID-19 unless the federal government gives uh, billions of dollars in help. So FCM says cities will need between 10 and $15 billion over the next six months to pay for services while they see revenues decline. Transit ridership and parking revenue are uh, two of the big ones as people stay home. Rec centers, arenas that are normally busy, a lot of you know fees come with those. They are closed. Edmonton's mayor is uh, Don Iverson. He is the chair of the Federation of Big City Mayors Caucus. He says communities face non-recoverable financial losses and the need uh, for money is great to keep essential municipal services running. As we've mentioned a number of times on the program, municipalities cannot run a deficit. BC has changed that to allow their municipalities to run a deficit. Uh, That would be a mistake for Ontario to uh, follow suit with that. We do not want to go down that rabbit hole. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to announce today significant rent relief to help businesses that cannot afford to pay their landlords at a time when their operations are shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The federal help is expected to be provided in partnership with provinces and territories which have jurisdiction over rents. Small and medium-sized businesses, most of them which have been closed since mid-March, have been clamoring for relief as the May 1st deadline for the next rate rent payment uh, does uh, come along quickly. Dan Kelly, the president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, told the House of Commons Finance Committee yesterday he was expecting an announcement as early as today. He says 70% of their 30,000 members pay monthly rent for their business premises, and of those 55% report they cannot afford to pay their rent next month. They are hoping to see a non-repayable rent subsidy, not loans or deferral of rent payments. The House of Commons Finance Committee also heard from the restaurant and hotel industry yesterday. Restaurant operator Andrew Oliver says 10% of restaurants across the country have already permanently closed as the end of uh, March. Says 50% of independent restaurants don't expect to survive COVID-19. The owner of Superior Lodging, which runs a number of hotels across the country, including Super 8 Travel Lodge, Microtel Inn and Suites, uh, says 20% of their hotels are closed right now. We are looking more and more at what is going to be happening in terms of uh, the country reopening. In Saskatchewan, we got an idea of what they are doing. Saskatchewan has a five-phase plan to reopen parts of their economy. So restrictions will start to be lifted May 4th. That will include dentist offices, optometry clinics, and physical therapy providers. Golf courses will reopen May 15th. Retail shops selling clothing, books, flowers, and sporting goods might be allowed to open their doors May 19th. 
hairdressers and barbers could also start seeing clients May 19th, but they would have to be wearing masks while they do their job. PEI said uh, yesterday that some outdoor activities and elective surgeries could restart in early May. We learned yesterday that the Calgary Stampede will be uh, canceled for this year. Not a surprise. It's the first time in 100 years or almost 100 years it has not been held was set to run July 3rd to the 12th. When you consider the fact Alberta said yesterday, all gatherings of 15 people and more will be uh, banned uh, for the summer. So they are extending their current ban through the summer. Uh, the Calgary Stampede decision becomes you know, elementary. I'm curious whether that might take hold for across the country in terms of what other provinces are doing. In terms of public gatherings, that would have a huge impact on the restaurant industry, obviously, because 15 people is not a lot in a restaurant. We will stop for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 6.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. There are new details about the killer's rampage in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead. We'll have more coming up, but first, we'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. No major delays to report inside the city this morning. Traveling the major highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia, and the 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are all moving well. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Mostly cloudy, sunny periods and 10 degrees today. That's all I'm admitting to because of the northeast wind and a warm front to our south, which isn't coming through. It's leaving us on the colder north side of it, and that wind direction doesn't bode well for the temperature. One degree tonight and clear. Better tomorrow with some sun in the morning. Clouding over in the afternoon, 12 degrees. Some showers show up tomorrow night and Sunday, rain and 8. Today's high 10. Right now we are sitting at 3 degrees. New details are emerging about the weekend's murderous rampage in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead. The gunman evaded police by driving in a car identical to an RCMP cruiser. Sources tell Global News that the 51-year-old gunman forcibly restrained his girlfriend Saturday night, but she escaped. Ontario Superior Court has ordered four long-term care facilities, including Henley Place here in London, to follow directives given by the province's Chief Medical Officer of Health after an injunction was filed by the Ontario Nurses Association. The union had alleged at a hearing earlier this week that the home's owners aren't giving staff proper equipment such as masks. Premier Doug Ford says that Ontario's long-term care system needs to be changed, a statement he made just moments before the Premier's office confirmed his own mother-in-law has tested positive for COVID-19. Ford, whose 95-year-old mother-in-law lives in a Toronto home with an outbreak of the virus, choked back tears during his daily briefing as he discussed families of long-term care residents. The province is moving more resources to the homes this week. Well, I think the system needs to be changed, and we're changing the system. Uh, but right now, our main focus is to make sure that we protect the people inside these uh, long-term care homes. Ford has previously committed to a review of long-term care homes after the pandemic. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to announce today significant rent relief to help businesses that can't afford to pay their landlords because of COVID-19. The federal help is expected to be provided in partnership with the provinces and territories which have jurisdiction over rents. 
And Calgary Stampede officials say it's difficult, but it's the right thing to do. The board of directors has announced the cancellation of the world-famous exhibition and rodeo this year because of the novel coronavirus. The show that's been dubbed the greatest outdoor show on earth attracts more than 100,000 people a day over its 10-day run. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, the NFL draft went last night and no real surprises at the top of the board. Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, went number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young was taken second overall by Washington. And the Detroit Lions grabbed cornerback Jeff Okuda with the third pick. Time now for a market minute from the eWorkplace Business Center. Here is Blake Lambert. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed down 37 points at 14,251. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 39 points at 23,515. The S&P 500 Index was down 1.5 points at 2,797, while the Nasdaq Composite was down 0.6 of a point at 8,494. Japan's Nikkei fell 167 points today to 19,262. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 70.95 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning, everybody. Mix of sun and cloud today, high of 10, clear tonight, low of 1. Hope your day is going along nicely. We are learning more and more every day about what happened over the weekend in Nova Scotia. Global News uh, had a, an exclusive uh, yesterday about some of the details of how the shooting transpired. Uh, these details are quite uh, explicit if you are just having your morning coffee. Uh, fair warning. The killings that began Saturday night in Portapic and ended uh, the next morning when he was uh, when the gunman was shot and killed started with uh, domestic violence. When Gabriel Wartman attacked his girlfriend, sources have told uh, Global News, uh, Mercedes uh, Stevenson uh, did some incredible uh, reporting on this. Investigators believe Wartman and his girlfriend were at a party at a nearby home in Portapic when Wartman began to argue with his girlfriend. They left the party, and it's believed they went back to their to his cottage, where the argument continued. He then assaulted her and then tied her up. She escaped and hid in the woods. He left his cottage after the assault, and investigators believe that's when the shootings began. It's believed he returned to the house where the party was being held and killed several people there, sources have said. Global News has learned that Wartman had access to multiple guns over the course of the entire ordeal, a rifle, a handgun, and a shotgun. It is not known how he obtained those guns. Portapic is a pretty small community. It's pretty rural. It's like a little cottagey little area. RCMP said earlier this week they set up two perimeters in the area, but at some point in the evening, they learned that Wartman had made it past undetected. They found his girlfriend around 7 a.m. Sunday morning, so she did survive this, which is uh, one of the uh, good news stories to come from this, even though she did 
obviously go through an ordeal and uh, I hope she uh, recovers, but that recovery could take a while physically and mentally. I can't imagine what that was like for her. It was from her that they learned he was likely dressed as a police officer and driving a fake cruiser. She also provided a picture of the vehicle, and that's what has been widely distributed. And so that information changed the way police searched for him. So that happened around 7 a.m. Sunday morning, local time. About four hours later, uh, he was dead. Sources confirmed to Global News, Wartman shot RCMP Constable uh, Heidi Stevenson in the chest. He stole her handgun. It's not known whether he used that handgun on any of his victims. The serious incident response team is uh, investigating this. They are the body that looks over police shootings in Nova Scotia. And this obviously would be a police-involved shooting. Police have not commented on any possible motives, nor have they said whether the killing was planned. A member of the RCMP's emergency response team and a canine officer spotted him at a gas station in Enfield, Nova Scotia. He realized the police had stopped him, uh, had spotted him. He went for his gun. The officers, though, shot and killed him before he could fire on police. They are investigating 16 scenes throughout the province, and as of Tuesday afternoon, said at least 22 people are dead. It is not known how many of the victims Wartman knew. RCMP declined to comment on Global News' story when contacted as the investigation is ongoing. Intimate partner violence does account for one-third of all police-reported violent crimes in Canada, according to Statistics Canada, with over 99,000 victims in 2018. With the, the details emerging in the case about the replica RCMP vehicle and the uniform, there are details about how it wasn't exactly hidden in Nova Scotia. Uh, Donald Walker, who is a funeral director in Dartmouth and previously employed uh, the shooter, told uh, the CBC that he uh, that Wartman created the car. He didn't walk up to the auction and just buy it. He, he put it together. It was kind of a hobby, he uh, said. He said that uh, Wartman once uh, pulled out his cell phone and showed him the vehicle. This was on an occasion when they got together last summer or fall. So this dating back to 2019, like almost a year or about a year ago, uh, you know, six months ago, eight months ago, and showed him the vehicle. It was his understanding that he purchased a stripped-down surplus police car from a government auction site and then restored it. Going so far as to have the graphics made by a graphics uh, company or the decals made by a graphics company. It's believed police were aware of what he was doing. They suggested to Wartman that if he was going to take it to car shows, he not drive it on the road, but take it on a trailer. It is not clear when the car came to the RCMP's attention. 
There are other uh, people who knew Wartman who have said that he claimed to be a retired Mountie, which, of course, is a lie. And he claimed he wanted to park the squad car outside his cottage to deter thieves. That's what he was telling people anyway. There is a lot of interest in the case, obviously. Uh, People want to know what's going on. I will say, uh, you don't need to know everything. Audio recordings of what the first responders were saying and doing as this was going on are available online. A lot of news stories this morning about them. You can read about it on globalnews.ca. So Broadcastify website is one of the places you can find it. I'll mention the website name just because there's no point in hiding it. I, I would just caution people not to, you don't need to know everything about everything. Sometimes when these traumatic, you know, incidents happen, people have this desire to want to see the grisly photo, hear the audio, learn everything. I mean, I think it's important to know what happened in these cases. Some of these details that I just shared, I think, are worthy of public consumption. There are, you know, major breaks in terms of understanding what happened and what transpired last weekend. With the audio recordings, though, you can read about the audio recordings. You don't need to hear them. You can hear them if you want. I'm not saying don't, but I'm just saying use your judgment with this stuff and stories in general in terms of stories that could be troubling to hear, especially as we you know, live and operate in these pandemic times where we're self-isolating or we're quarantining or we're not seeing as many people as we might normally. Um, self-isolation and that alone aspect can add up over time. So uh, take care of your mental health when you read some of these stories, because it is important. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. We here at 980 CFPL and Chorus Radio London are committed to supporting local businesses during the pandemic. As such, we want to recognize locally owned and awesome businesses each and every day. Today's businesses are brought to you courtesy of Ontario West Insurance Brokers, proudly supported by the London Police Association. I will let you know about Guildwood Lighting and Fireside. Located at 5 York Street, you can find them online at guildwoodlighting.ca. Phone number is 519-438-6161. They are family-owned and operated since 1963 in the downtown core. On their Facebook page, there is a link to a contest on right now to win two prizes for a full home lighting makeover. Everyone who enters can receive a $25 credit. So if you go to their Facebook page, it's Guildwood Lighting on Facebook. I also want to let you know about Mama's Hot Italian Sandwiches, located at 797 York Street. You can find them online at mamashotsandwiches.com, phone number 519-645-6262. They serve London and area, providing tasty hot Italian sandwiches prepared fresh with the highest quality of ingredients. Ingredients, uh, uh, Mama's Hot Italian Sandwiches. You are sure to enjoy the atmosphere, friendly service, and affordable prices. And I'm just looking at their daily specials right now. On Monday, you can get a meatball sandwich for 8 bucks. And I don't know about you, but I can't hear meatball sandwich and not want a meatball sandwich. 
So you go to their website, you can see their daily specials. But uh, I kind of want a meatball sandwich right now. <laughs> uh, so we thank all our local businesses who are uh, trying to make it through this pandemic. I know it's going to be uh, difficult uh, for all of you, just the way it's difficult for a lot of us trying to get through the pandemic and just uh, see the light on the other side. Couple of the lighter items in the coronavirus world we live in right now. One of the uh, new items people are hoarding, apparently, or maybe people are just huge in the pizza, is frozen pizza. People bought 92% more pizzas in March than we did in March of 2019. Although most reported shortages of supplies during the coronavirus pandemic have pointed to empty shelves, formerly filled with toilet paper, maybe hand sanitizer. There is one item that has been flying out of stores at an unprecedented rate, and that's frozen pizza. Many frozen pizza factories are trying to keep up with the high demand. They are equating it to the Super Bowl. According to Adweek, Newman's own COO, Dave Best, reported that his frozen pizza sales are up 190% since the pandemic began, and many frozen pizza companies are reporting similar numbers IRI, which is a data analytics firm, determined that from March to April, people bought more than $275 million worth of frozen pizza. That's a 92% increase over the same time last year. Uh, here's something concerning. Your beer and your pop might become flat because of the pandemic. The pandemic is causing dwindling supplies of carbon dioxide, which is used to carbonate drinks. So dwindling supplies of carbon dioxide from ethanol plants are sparking concern about shortages of beer, pop, and seltzer water. Brewers and soft drink makers use carbon dioxide for carbonation, carbonation obviously. Ethanol, which is blended into our you know, gas, has uh, seen production fall sharply due to the drop in gasoline demand as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Gasoline demand is down by more than 30% in the United States. I'll put up with a lot of America with uh, from Americans, but if they impact my beer supply, then it's on. The pandemic is having a big impact on the international drug business. Apparently, drug traffickers are having trouble moving their supply, and that's driving up the prices of things like cocaine and heroin on the streets. That's its own set of trouble. I mean, on the one hand, you could say, "Great, you know, it's having a difficult time." moving stuff around which okay but it's still a trouble the issue on the streets couples in new york can now get married on zoom new york governor andrew cuomo earlier this week signed an order allowing online marriages as many weddings are canceled under lockdown restrictions so from now on people in new york state will be able to apply for marriage licenses remotely and clerks are allowed to conduct ceremonies virtually a guy who was the only passenger on a Southwest Airlines flight from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to St. Louis last week got his own personalized in-flight messages. Bob Pitts is his name. He documented the flight in a series of videos. 
And he was flying from uh, Florida to St. Louis for his mother's wake. Her death was unrelated to the coronavirus. And so it was kind of funny when he, uh, in one of his videos, is personally greeted by a flight attendant. The flight attendant turns to the pilot and says, I'm talking to Bob, to which the Bob the pilot leans over and says, hi, Bob. <laughs> and then Bob just says, hey, everybody. Uh, the videos are kind of fun uh, to watch if you can find them online, where he's literally just talking to the pilot on Southwest Airlines, just flying around. For a legitimate reason, his mother had passed. But that would be um, that would be an odd experience. A California doctor accused of selling a supposed miracle cure for COVID-19 is now facing up to 20 years in prison for fraud. Good. Dr. Jennings Ryan Staley is a 44-year-old licensed physician who operates a medical spa. He was charged for mail fraud after allegedly promoting COVID-19 treatment packs which he said could offer immunity from coronavirus for six weeks and could 100% cure it. That is uh, good to see that crackdown happen. Uh, Please be careful of the medical advice you hear. Double check it with a trusted medical uh, official, your doctor, Telehealth Ontario, someone. And a doctor. uh, Oh, wait, sorry. that's, That's the story. I just read it again. Uh, so he is in the uh, Southern District of California. There are tons of stories out there of possible fake cures, some promoted by the Dr. Oz's, the Dr. Phil's of the world. Dr. Phil talking more about their, their the lockdown. Be careful of who you get some of your medical advice from. Don't even send it to me because I would have to look look it up. So, you know, I, I'd try to get you as much information as possible, but uh, turn to your doctor, turn to Telehealth Ontario as the place to go rather than just Googling it on the internet. We'll take a break for news. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 7 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's mostly cloudy. We are sitting at 3 degrees. The Nova Scotia shootings began after the gunman attacked his girlfriend. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Main and side roads are trouble-free across the city this morning. If you have travel plans on the 400 series highways, they're moving well through the city west to Sarnia and east to Brantford. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free in the newsroom at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Mostly cloudy, sunny breaks today. I'm not going to go any higher than 10. I hope we make it higher, but I'm not going to call it that way. Just because there's a stalled warm front to the south of us, we're still on its cold side. There's a northeast wind. Everything works against a temperature much higher than 10. One degree tonight clear. Then sunny tomorrow with increasing cloud in the afternoon, 12. Chance of showers tomorrow night. Rain Sunday and 8. And Monday partly sunny, 11. Today's high, 10. Right now we are sitting at 3 degrees. We are learning new details about the gunman in last weekend's deadly shooting in Nova Scotia. Global's Tina Trajani reports. 
Sources have told Global News Gabriel Wartman forcibly restrained and assaulted his girlfriend after they left a party Saturday night. They had reportedly been arguing up to that point, but the woman managed to escape and hide in the woods near his home. Investigators say he then left his cottage, went back to the house where the party was being held, and killed several people there. Police found Wartman's girlfriend early Sunday morning, and she told them he was likely dressed as a police officer and driving a fake cruiser, which she was able to provide a photo of. Global News has learned that Wartman had access to multiple guns over the course of the rampage, one of them a handgun, which was stolen from RCMP Constable Heidi Stevenson, who was shot and killed. It's not known if that particular weapon was used on any of the victims. Tina Trajani, Global News. The parents of two teen girls who were murdered by Paul Bernardo are seeking to obtain his entire file with the parole board. The families of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey argue public interest in the case outweighs the convicted killer and serial rapist's privacy rights. They're also requesting audio and video recordings, as well as any written transcripts of Bernardo's failed bid for parole back in October of 2018. The two families filed for judicial review this month after their requests for the documents under access to information legislation were denied. A legal victory for the union representing Ontario's nurses. Ontario Superior Court has ordered four long-term care facilities, including Henley Place here in London, to follow directives given by the province's chief medical officer of health after an injunction was filed by the Ontario Nurses Association this week. ONA President Vicky McKenna tells Global News they chose to pursue a court injunction so changes could be made quickly. I'm relieved, certainly relieved, and uh, happy that now the nurses that work in these four homes in particular will have uh, the, the health and safety measures that were uh, directed by the Chief Medical Officer of Health. The union had alleged at a hearing this week the home's owners aren't giving staff proper equipment such as masks. Canada's COVID-19 caseload continues to surge in Quebec and Ontario as smaller provinces are starting to consider reopening their economies. There are now 42,105 confirmed and presumptive cases of the coronavirus in this country. Of those, more than 34,000 are in Quebec and Ontario. Locally, the Middlesex London Health Unit reported just four new cases on Thursday, bringing the total of local cases to 347. Officials said there were three deaths, all involving local seniors' facilities. Struggling small business owners in Canada are hoping to receive significant rent relief today from the federal government. They're not able to pay their landlords while they're shut down because of the pandemic. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to make an announcement about the relief later today. And the Calgary Stampede has been cancelled because of the global pandemic. Stampede officials say the decision to call off the world-famous exhibition and rodeo this year was a difficult one, but public health comes first. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Joe Burrows, the one, the Cincinnati Bengals have taken the LSU quarterback with the first selection in the NFL draft. It's the third straight year in which the reigning Heisman Trophy winner was taken first overall in the draft. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young was taken second by Washington, and the Detroit Lions grabbed cornerback Jeff Okuda with the third pick. Time now for a market minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Blake Lambert. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed down 37 points at 14,251. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 39 points at 23,515. 
The S&P 500 index was down 1.5 points at 2,797, while the Nasdaq Composite was down 0.6 of a point at 8,494. Japan's Nikkei fell 167 points today to 19,262. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 70.95 cents U.S. Coming up next, The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPA. We are into the second hour of the program. Good morning, everybody. Happy to have you along with us today. Hope you're day is going along nicely i don't know about you but uh, i am working from home these days many of us are we know the COVID 19 pandemic has impacted us all in many different ways in some significant ways i'm uh, lucky to still be working from home not everyone uh, can say that of course Uh, the elgin middlesex oxford workplace planning and development board recently partnered with some other workforce planning boards to conduct a survey to see how the pandemic has impacted workers Uh, they collected uh, over 2500 responses across 16 counties in southwestern ontario including 250 responses in the london economic region amongst other findings uh, they found one in five respondents were no longer working because of the crisis to talk about this we are joined by Deborah uh, Montanay, the Executive Director of the Elgin Middlesex Oxford Workforce Planning and Development Board. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Good morning, Devin. Looking at the survey, it looks like uh, there are a lot of people in the manufacturing sector in particular that have been uh, hit quite significantly by this. Um, yes, we're seeing um, lots of impacts across all sectors, but uh, we did get some significant uh, responses from the manufacturing sector in particular. Was there anything that uh, stood out to you for the survey or surprised you at all? Well, I, I think for me, the important part of, of doing this survey was because uh, as we're seeing the government release numbers of the numbers of people who are unemployed, um, technically everybody who's receiving uh, unemployment or uh, or the new uh, dollars that are available uh, for people who are losing employment at the moment, um, it, it sort of masked what was happening out there because some people are um, being laid off te- at least temporarily and the companies know they're bringing them back and the employees themselves know that this is a temporary situation but all the numbers are included together so we really wanted to do this survey so that we'd get a handle on the number of people who are off currently across the board but also more particularly the number of people who are concerned that they may not have a job to go back to so what kind of picture this, does this paint then? Um, well, basically, we ended up, um, when we're looking at the numbers, um, it, we ended up approximately a third, a third, a third. Um, so we had people that were working from home um, and are continuing their job. So their location has changed, but not necessarily um, the work that they're doing. And they are still employed by the companies. Um, and we're seeing another third that we're still continuing to work from the usual uh, location. And then the other third, which is, again, the, the group that really concerns us, is uh, the group that's not temporarily uh, working due to the COVID crisis. And some of those, those people as well are aware that they've permanently lost their work. So this is really going to impact 
on uh, the work that the employment services are going to be needing to do with everyone uh, and the number of people that will actually be involved uh, for and available for employers as the COVID situation starts to ease in the local area. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's almost like a two-pronged issue in terms of people who've lost their job already, but people who, as you say, you know, had, you know, previously lost their job, it's even that much more difficult to to get back into the workforce for everyone at this point. So it's right. it's a uh, it's going to be doubly uh, difficult. What sort of concerns are people saying they're having? I, I saw some responses about the rent and mortgage being uh, top of mind for for many, which uh, makes sense. Right, and, and we did ask people. Uh, how they were finding um, that situation right now. And, uh, and so um, people are concerned about their rent or their mortgage. Um, they were more concerned about their monthly bills because those may tend to fluctuate a little bit. Um, with their rent or their mortgage, they at least know what that amount's going to be and they have an option or an opportunity potentially to have a conversation with, their, with the bank or their mortgage holder or the, their uh, landlord as well to to see about um, how they can make arrangements to to make it through during this time period and of course it's easier um, for someone to have that conversation if they know that this is a temporary situation and their job is waiting for them how could this survey help uh, government and business and uh, you know those such as yourself helping uh, trying to help people uh, find employment well, I think it really helps to, to drive home for everybody. What are the key things that are of most concern to individuals right now? And uh, and we did ask some questions as well about the responses um, and how people were feeling about the you know, government responses and uh, some of the services that are out there. And I have to say, um, people were overwhelmingly impressed with the responses that they were see- seeing from the grocery stores. Uh, and also the pharmacies. So people are really appreciating the efforts that are being made by uh, both of those areas. And uh, and certainly uh, they were also appreciative of the efforts of government at all levels. Uh, not that, you know, there aren't concerns or that there are more things that could potentially be done. But overall, uh, they seem to, to be feeling like they're being heard and people are aware that, that there are issues out there. It is an interesting survey. Uh, Deborah. I certainly appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about it. That is uh, Deborah Mountenay, Executive Director of the Elgin Middlesex Oxford Workforce Planning and Development Board. It is an interesting uh, um, survey. It does co- cover, as I said in the intro, 16 counties, so it really gives a good uh, picture of Uh, some of the issues facing southwestern Ontario. We need to pause. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Mix of sunny cloud today, high at 10, clear tonight, low of 1, sunny tomorrow, cloudy in the afternoon, high at 12, rain on Sunday, though, high of 8. Hope your uh, day is going along nicely. I want to continue the theme on employment we started last segment because we're getting closer and closer to May. And a lot of farmers in southwestern Ontario who have a, a diminished workforce right now due to a lack of migrant workers due to COVID-19. That is a problem. And in a bid to solve that problem, a number of organizations in the region have joined forces to find a solution. 
That includes uh, Elgin County's Economic Development uh, Group. Uh, they are involved in this. Alan Smith is the General Manager of Elgin County Economic Development. He joins me now to talk about this. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning. Uh, great to be here. This is uh, quite the problem uh, facing uh, farmers right now. Oh, it certainly is. Um, the shortage in the workforce is has a major impact on their op- operations. And um, we, Elgin County, with our neighboring partners, counties and employment services and Fanshawe College, uh, hopefully what we're doing will help them uh, to a certain degree. So what is the goal of the campaign? What's involved in it? Sure. Well, but the goal um, is basically to match people who are looking for work. Uh, they find themselves unemployed or laid off uh, due to COVID-19. Um, you know, regular workforce or even uh, students who would normally be employed will, let's say, the hospitality and tourism industry, which has taken severe impact. You know, so those individuals are available uh, where normally they wouldn't be. Uh, so we have got together and done a uh, promotional campaign, which um, brings to the attention of, like, say, students uh, of the work opportunities in the agricultural sector. You know, it might be a sector they had never actually thought about. So um, we are having that promotional campaign to link uh, both parties together, basically. Do you find that people don't always maybe think about the agriculture sector? And we're seeing, you know, with, throughout this pandemic, it is uh, pretty essential to uh, our way of life with uh, all the focus on food and food production and grocery stores and every way up and down the uh, the line there. Yeah, uh, you know, quite right. I think what um, COVID-19 has done is actually put a spotlight on uh, our, our cultural sector and how important it is. And you quite normally, you know, for example, those looking for work in the summertime, like a student, would not think of uh, the agricultural sector. So this definitely put the spotlight on agriculture because, for example, in Elgin County, agriculture is the backbone of our economy. And a lot of people don't realize that. So this has put the spotlight on agriculture and the need um, the important role that plays in our economy. So, yes, um, it has brought to light uh, the, the work that is available in the agricultural sector that one would not normally consider. How big is it uh, within Elgin County? You mentioned the backbone, but how, how big? Oh, we have about 1,500 farms or more, and it is a substantial amount of our local GDP. And... Uh, you know, um, everything growing to the production processing. Um, we have uh, our local farmer markets are huge in summertime for tourism. So there's that, not only the growing aspect, but, you know, the connection to agritourism too for Elgin County, which is massive in the summertime uh, and the fall. And right now, um, you know, that is taking a definitely a huge hit also. So, you know, our culture links to many other parts of our economy, and which is also suffering. So uh, any way that we can help our agricultural community uh, with a workforce, we're going to try to do it. So, again, so we're partnering with our neighboring counties and um, hopefully 
we can help. What has the reaction been like so far? Well, so far, actually, it's, it's turnaround, it's turnaround has been quite good so far. Uh, we've just started the campaign. And the last time I checked uh, a couple of days ago with the numbers, it was we had over 20 people that um, were actively now engaged with uh, um, a local farmer or a um, agricultural company. So people are um, reaching out and applying, which is great. So, And we only expect this to ramp up as the word gets out. It's uh, it's an interesting sector to get into. Uh, people, I think sometimes, uh, maybe we uh, we talked about earlier, they don't really think about it. I think sometimes we underestimate how difficult the work can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be rewarding work, but it's it's difficult work as well. It is, and it's not for everyone. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, it's really hard work, and some people that will think it's for them, they go out, and they'll try for a few days and realize it's not for them. And I think that's, maybe human nature and that's life but you will find people who will gravitate to it and do quite well and um so i think it's worth the the investment and time to find those individuals um you know farming and agriculture is so important um you know they feed us (laughs) so if we can uh, do our part to help in that regard um then it's a good thing if people want more information where can they go uh, they can contact Employment Services Elgin uh, at employmentservicesalgin.ca or they can reach out to uh, Fanshawe College um, at 519-765-2082. So, and, um, but reach out and have a chat with the people there and uh, see what's available. Alan, I certainly appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for uh, having me on and bringing this to uh, the attention deserves. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. That is Alan Smith, General Manager of Elgin County Economic uh, Development. Uh, as he uh, said, you know, this isn't just uh, Elgin County. This is, you know, Fanshawe College. It's uh, employment services in partnership with uh, Middlesex, Elgin, Oxford, Brant, Norfolk, and Haldeman counties. And we have seen, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, just how important the agriculture sector is uh, to our way of life. From the beginnings at the farm to the in-between where it is produced to the end where it is sold in our grocery stores. Uh, Mike uh, Stubbs uh, talking yesterday just about, you know, how uh, how difficult it can be for some grocery store workers right now in terms of, uh, and if you saw the picture online, just, you know, how pe- what's happening to people's hands. The other day I was lightly bemoaning how dry my hands are because of all the times I'm washing my hands. Uh, we had a st- survey saying, you know, on average, people doing it 16 times a day. Our grocery store workers are doing it much more than 16 times a day. So everyone up and down that line are doing uh, great and important work for you and I. We will pause. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 7.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's cloudy. We are sitting at three degrees. 
New details are emerging about the killer's rampage in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead. We'll have more coming up, but first we'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. No major delays to report inside the city this morning. Traveling the major highways, the 401, 402 to Sarnia, and the 403 to Brantford and Hamilton are all moving well. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Mostly cloudy, sunny periods and 10 degrees today. That's all I'm admitting to because of the northeast wind and a warm front to our south, which isn't coming through. It's leaving us on the colder north side of it, and that wind direction doesn't bode well for the temperature. One degree tonight and clear. Better tomorrow with some sun in the morning, clouding over in the afternoon, 12 degrees. Some showers show up tomorrow night and Sunday, rain and 8. Today's high 10. Right now we are sitting at 3 degrees. New details are emerging about the weekend's murderous rampage in Nova Scotia that left 22 people dead. The gunman evaded police by driving in a car identical to an RCMP cruiser. Sources tell Global News that the 51-year-old gunman forcibly restrained his girlfriend Saturday night, but she escaped. Ontario Superior Court has ordered four long-term care facilities, including Henley Place here in London, to follow directives given by the province's Chief Medical Officer of Health after an injunction was filed by the Ontario Nurses Association. The union had alleged at a hearing earlier this week that the home's owners aren't giving staff proper equipment such as masks. Premier Doug Ford says that Ontario's long-term care system needs to be changed. A statement he made just moments before the Premier's office confirmed his own mother-in-law has tested positive for COVID-19. Ford, whose 95-year-old mother-in-law lives in a Toronto home with an outbreak of the virus, choked back tears during his daily briefing as he discussed families of long-term care residents. The province is moving more resources to the homes this week. Well, I think the system needs to be changed, and we're changing the system. Uh, but right now, our main focus is to make sure that we protect the people inside these uh, long-term care homes. Ford has previously committed to a review of long-term care homes after the pandemic. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is expected to announce today significant rent relief to help businesses that can't afford to pay their landlords because of COVID-19. The federal help is expected to be provided in partnership with the provinces and territories which have jurisdiction over rents. And Calgary Stampede officials say it's difficult, but it's the right thing to do. The Board of Directors has announced the cancellation of the world-famous exhibition and rodeo this year because of the novel coronavirus. The show that's been dubbed the greatest outdoor show on earth attracts more than 100,000 people a day over its 10-day run. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, the NFL draft went last night and no real surprises at the top of the board. Joe Burrow, the LSU quarterback, went number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. Ohio State defensive end Chase Young was taken second overall by Washington. And the Detroit Lions grabbed cornerback Jeff Okuda with the third pick. Time now for a market minute from the eWorkplace Business Center. Here is Blake Lambert. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed down 37 points at 14,251. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 39 points at 23,515. The S&P 500 Index was down 1.5 points at 2,797, while the Nasdaq Composite was down 0.6 of a point at 8,494. Japan's Nikkei fell 167 points today to 19,262. 
Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 70.95 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Happy to have you along with us on the show today. How did you uh, sleep last night? How have you been sleeping during the pandemic? It is a question uh, a lot of people are asking these days. Uh, My sleep was okay. We are spending a lot of time at home because of the pandemic. Uh, Some people may not be sleeping as uh, they normally have. Sleep experts across the country have put together a website, sleeponitcanada.ca, with information on sleep problems, including those associated with life during the COVID-19 pandemic. To talk about sleep, we are joined by Charles Morin, the Canada Research Chair in Behavioral Sleep Medicine at Laval University. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Good morning. Uh, Do you think the pandemic is impacting our sleep? Yeah, indeed, it does, uh, and it does in different ways. Uh, for people who do, there are people who are normally sleep deprived. Uh, there are just not enough hours in one day to to do everything they have to do. And for some of those people, they they take advantage of this pandemic to recuperate on their sleep. So they may sleep in later in the morning, and they may they may go to bed earlier to get more sleep than they usually do. But this is a minority, I would say. So there are also people who are more vulnerable to sleep problems, uh, and particularly stress uh, is one of the main triggering uh, of uh, insomnia. So, yes, there are indeed a lot of people who currently have insomnia. They have trouble falling asleep uh, or problems staying asleep or they wake up uh, too early in the morning or they simply sleep poorly. I could see that being almost a vicious circle, too, where you have uh, some stress or anxiety that causes sleep problems, that causes more stress and anxiety that continues on and on. Absolutely. It's kind of a vicious cycle. Uh, there's always a good reason to, to produce insomnia in the first place. Uh, stressful life events, particularly this pandemic, is enough to create insomnia in many people. And although we shouldn't worry about uh, an occasional night, uh, poor night's sleep, uh, particularly at this time, uh, then it takes a life of its own for many people. They start worrying about how it's going to impact on their daytime functioning. And then in the morning, they get up, they worry about how their upcoming night's sleep will be. And this goes on and on and on, and uh, it really creates a kind of a vicious cycle, and it uh, often leads to chronic insomnia. What sort of impact could a change in schedule or a change in routine have on sleep? Well, I mean, our sleep is controlled by a number of biological, social, and environmental factors. The most important one is exposure to daylight. That controls sort of our biological clock. Uh, But uh, under normal circumstances, we get up at a fixed time in the morning with the alarm clock for many. We go to work. Uh, we show up at a predetermined time. Uh, we eat our meals at fixed times. We have social contacts, leisure activities. All these activities are kind of timekeepers for our biological clock. Under social confinement, uh, we lose many of these time cues because 
the constraints for many are no longer there. For some, they still are. But uh, these are all factors uh, that can contribute to disrupt sleep uh, during this uh, crisis period. Just being at home more, a lot of people are on their you know, electronic devices, be it maybe their computer, iPad, or our phone, whatever the case might be. Long before this, when I've done interviews on uh, sleep that weren't related to the pandemic, there was a lot of talk about how you should really keep your phone away from you about an hour before you go to bed. I could see that being an issue right now for people when you're home almost all the time, if not all the time, and you've got your electronic device with you all the time as well. Absolutely. That's actually one of the first recommendations we make to people who have sleep problems or who don't want to have sleep problems. So I think that we are all seeking out information uh, at this time in our lives, uh, but we should avoid doing it uh, too close to bedtime or worse uh, in your bed. So avoiding all forms of electronics, Uh, around bedtime and in the bedroom is clearly one of the first recommendations we make. Uh, Just uh, building off of that, what could people be doing to sleep better? Well, for those who are simply uh, lacking sleep, the first thing to do is to make sleep a priority in their lives. Uh, The the best remedy for sleep loss is sleep. Uh, So only you can make this a priority in your life. So that's the first thing. Then, uh, because uh, of all these time cues, time keepers that tend to be misaligned with our biological clock uh, during social confinement, it's important to keep a regular schedule for sleep, meals, work, and social contacts. Uh, get as as much natural daylight exposure if possible in the morning because daylight exposure is critical to regulating sleep-wake uh, rhythms. Uh, uh, for those who have insomnia, it's important to allow at least an hour to unwind before bedtime. Uh, and don't go to bed just before because it's 10 o'clock. It's best to wait that one feels sleepy, not just fatigued, but sleepy. And the worst thing a person can do is to try to force sleep. We, we just cannot force sleep uh, on command. Uh, all we can do is to prepare the circumstances that will be conducive, more conducive to sleep. Uh, and there are a number of things like that that people can do. Uh, people tend to sleep in light uh, in the morning if they have a poor sleep the night before. So it's important to, to get up at the same time every day, regardless of how much sleep one's got the night before, because this is another important time marker for a biological clock. Uh, And uh, we have to keep our expectations realistic also. I mean, not everyone needs eight hours of sleep. Uh, Some will do much better on six and a half of uninterrupted sleep. Other people may need nine hours. So we have to find what's the best total sleep time for for our own individual. So there are many things people can do, and if uh, if uh, sleep problems persist, then seek professional help. I, I do think you know the whole uh, idea of sleep science is interesting because it's you know sleep is something that's so natural, you know, secondhand. It's it's necessary. We have to do it, and sometimes we just don't think about it too much. But there is, you know, a, a complexity to it to get you know the maximum out of it, which helps us get the maximum out of our day. 
Absolutely, and sleep. I mean, we we tend to 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 forget about it because, like you say, it's so natural. But really, sleep is one of the three main pillars uh, of good health, good physical and mental health, uh, along with uh, good nutrition and exercise. Sleep is really one of those three pillars, and we should pay attention to it. Charles, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye now. That is uh, Charles Moran, Canada Research Chair in Behavioral Sleep Medicine at Laval University. Quite enlightening. We need to pause. When we return, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. Mix of sun and cloud today, high of 10, clear tonight, low of 1. Forecast to take us into the weekend. Hope your morning is going along nicely. We have all been self-isolating or isolating with our families for over a month now. It can be difficult. There are some perks uh, to working from home, uh, but I would uh, much prefer to have things go back to the way they were. We can get through this, though. The pandemic has resulted in plenty of positive stories, something that cannot be forgotten. However, if you need to pick me up, I do have someone who can help. Our next guest is uh, Mia. She is 13 years old from Toronto. When she was four, she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, spent a lot of time in hospitals. She is used to taking precautions against viral infections and has experience at social distancing. Uh, she could help some kids, maybe some parents out there who need a little help right now. She and her mother, Melissa, join me on the phone now. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Hi. Good morning. I appreciate morning. you taking some time. Uh, Mia, what's it like to be a teenager and uh, taking in all this information about the pandemic right now? It's pretty hard, but we're getting through. What should... Uh, kids know or what would you what message would you have to kids who are really feeling the burden of isolation right now spend time with your family that's in your household and play games board games um bake spend time with your family and yeah that's about it you were uh, social distancing before this was all a thing um do you have any tips for the rest of us newbies Stay home, stay safe, wash your hands. Yeah. Uh, Melissa, maybe you can uh, tell a bit of what should the public know about those who immunocompromised because there's a lot of people who uh, want to make sure that stay safe during all of this. So it, they are highly at risk for this COVID-19. Um, so it's a really important for all of us to work together to lower and flatten the curve. Um, everyone should stay home. Everyone should... Uh, Stay safe, wash your hands, um, just heed everyone's warnings. Um, these immunocompromised kids, they're more at risk. Uh, they, their immune systems don't work like ours do, so they're part of that vulnerable group, and it's just important for us to work together in this um, to keep them safe, to keep all of us safe. Uh, Mia, you and your mother obviously, you know, have a good relationship. But for kids who are maybe finding it a little uh, tough right now, what would you tell to parents who are maybe finding ways to keep their kids active and keep them calm and and going along during all of this? Play games, watch movies, do some fun things. Um, we've been loving baking together, so just finding some activities. I think that you and your kids can do together that that could pass the time 
this could, uh, Melissa, I guess, really be an opportunity to, you know, find new hobbies or, you know, really fine tune other ones and, and for a family really to spend some time together. Yes, definitely. I think that that's what we've done. We've, um, we've had, uh, a play at home pack sent from Starlight Canada. We're Starlight Canada family. Um, and they've been amazing with us kids. So we just want to give them a shout out and, um, Say that you can also donate to playfromhome.org. Mia has a participant page there where they send home play at home packs and they um, go live on Facebook with the children. The, these are children that are highly immunocompromised, and there's a group of us. So um, they send home these packages, and the kids all do them together on lives. So it's just a really great opportunity for some of the families to help out our families if they have a chance. So that, that's um, what we're kind of here today to talk about. And they've been really amazing with us and they've been helping us out. And um, Yeah, you can donate if you'd like at playfromhome.org. There are a lot of supports out there for people. Uh, yeah. It's good to, to know about them, such as this, absolutely. Uh, uh, Melissa, Mia, I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much you for so having much. us. Have a good day. You too. That is uh, Mia and her mother, Melissa. They are from uh, Toronto. Uh, Mia, as her mother, Melissa, was saying, is a starlight child. Uh, she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at the age of four. That is a chronic lung disease that affects the pancreas. She was forced to live in and out of hospitals uh, for uh, quite a while. Uh, but uh, she is uh, doing okay. And as you are heard there, you know, uh, you can get through it. You can... And, to get through it, if you have to play, you know, board games, you have, if you have to bake together, uh, there are worse ways uh, to get through all of this. Uh, with uh, a few moments before we need to uh, pause for news at the top of the hour, I did want to mention uh, some locally owned and awesome businesses for today. We here at 980 CFPL and Chorus Radio London are highlighting local businesses whenever we can. Uh, these are brought to you by Ontario West Insurance Brokers and supported by London Police Association. I want to tell you about Guildwood Lighting and Fireside. Located at 5 York Street in London, phone number 519-438-6161. The website is guildwoodlighting.ca. They are family-owned and operated since 1963 in the downtown core. On their Facebook page, there is a link to a contest to win two prizes for a full home lighting makeover. Everyone who enters can receive a $25 credit. The contest link is at their Facebook Facebook page. So if you just go onto Facebook and uh, search uh, Guildwood Lighting, you'll find their page there. Uh, nice little uh, contest to uh, get into while we're all in this pandemic. Also, Mama's Hot Italian Sandwiches, located at 797 York Street in London. Phone numbers 519-645-6262. You can find them online at mamashotitaliansandwiches.com. They uh, serve London and area, providing great-tasting hot Italian sandwiches prepared fresh with the highest quality of ingredients. At Mama's Hot Italian Sandwiches, you are sure to enjoy the great atmosphere, friendly service, and affordable prices. And you can uh, check out their website to see uh, daily specials. I was uh, talking earlier, they got a special on Monday for uh, meatball sandwiches and toppings, eight bucks plus taxes, which is uh, hard to beat. Uh, But they've got, you know, on Thursdays, uh, pasta, salad, and a roll for uh, for $10. 
I mean, they've got some 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 good prices and good specials. And if you want to see a lot uh, or all of the businesses we are promoting here at 980 CFPL and Chorus Radio London, uh, businesses that are open and delivering, you can go to our website, 980cfpl.ca, is where you can find our delivery page for all sorts of businesses in London and the region. These aren't just uh, businesses that are food or restaurant or anything like that. Lots of businesses doing uh, doing curbside pickup and uh, staying in business to uh, serve their community right now. So you can go to 980cfpl.ca for that information. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980cfpl. Good morning. We are into the third hour of the show. I hope your morning is going along nicely. Mix of sun and cloud today, high of 10, clear tonight, low of 1. Sunny tomorrow, cloudy in the afternoon, high of 12. Chance of showers late. Rain on Sunday, high of 8, partly sunny on Monday with a high of 11. So uh, an okay weekend in store. Uh, do you know what happened two months ago? Uh, two months ago, uh, David Ayers became a hockey hero when he entered a game between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Toronto Maple Leafs as an emergency goaltender for, Calif- for Carolina, led them to victory. It was an incredible story, and for those unaware of his background, he is a kidney patient and a transplant recipient. As someone whose mother recently got a liver transplant, I have seen firsthand what it can be like recovering from an organ transplant. Kidney patients, like us all, have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. As such, David Ayers has uh, teamed up with the Kidney Foundation of Canada to launch the Kidney Foundation Emergency Fund campaign. For people with the kidney failure, the pandemic can be a pretty anxious time. They have comprom- compromised immune systems. They're traveling uh, and sometimes traveling for dialysis, which can be tricky. So to talk about this, we are joined by David Ayers. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you can relate uh, to people waiting for an organ transplant uh, or who have had one better than a lot. Uh, what would this type of a situation be like being in a pandemic right now that we're in? Yeah, uh, so when I went through my, my kidney stuff, that we were still in SARS. We were having the SARS, I guess you can call it kind of a mini pandemic at that point. Uh, it, was, it was pretty serious too, so that was a tough one. Um, you know, you, you could be in the hospital. I was in the hospital. I was in the ICU unit uh, for 17 days, and I couldn't see anybody. Uh, you couldn't tell the difference between uh, who the nurses were that came in. They were dressed from head to toe, and all you could see was their eyes covered by, by goggles. So it was, I guess, fairly uh, similar to now. So uh, it's tough. It's tough when you don't have any uh, anyone there by your side, and you have to kind of do it all on your own. So, um, you know, for the, the kidney foundation, and I didn't at the time. I didn't really know anything about it either because, uh, like I said, I just started uh, having the kidney issues, so uh, it was tough for sure. What's it been like for you these past few weeks with the pandemic on and everyone social distancing? Uh, yeah, it's been tough. Uh, you know, staying staying inside. Uh, I guess you could say it gets old pretty quickly. Um, you know, you don't realize how much you can actually do. 
um, until you until you can't do it anymore. Um, but you know, it gives you lots of time with the family and uh, lots of time just to kind of think about what you want to do with your life. But um, you know, if if you were dealing with uh, kidney issues right now, that's a that's a tough one for sure. Oh, absolutely. I can imagine, you know, just you'd be a little bit concerned about, you know, having to travel for that, go to the hospital, go wherever the case might be. When you are a kidney patient, you need to go for dialysis. What does that entail? So you can do different kinds of dialysis. Uh, You can do it at home. Um, But when I did mine, I was at the hospital three days a week. Uh, So it took about four hours. I was lucky. It was right in the middle of hockey season, so there was a game on every night when I was when I was at the hospital. So I, I was able to watch the game, but uh, it's not easy because dialysis takes a lot out of you. Um, so to be able to try and even drive home afterwards, you know, once I kind of got into mine a little bit more, I was able to do that. But at the beginning, it, you can't. You need to drive. You need to drive there and back. And um, sometimes if you can't get somebody else to drive you, they, they have transit that can get you there. But it's not exactly the easiest thing to to get a hold of sometimes. And that's why you've teamed up with the Kidney Foundation uh, now, right? Right. Yeah, They uh, the Kidney Foundation has a lot of programs in place. Like I said, I didn't know about when I was going through mine. Um, I had a good family that could kind of drive me back and forth, which was which was I was lucky for that. But uh, they have the programs that they can help people get back and forth, and they can uh, help fund a few things for uh, for kidney patients that. Uh, you know, they obviously they need people to to donate some money towards the foundation so they can keep up with it. Especially now, uh, a lot of people not being able to work um, during their dialysis and stuff like that, uh, it's even harder on them. What is the goal of uh, the fund? You know, how how much money are you looking to to raise with all this? Uh, I don't think there's a, an actual goal per se. Um, I know there's a, a couple of uh, different families that are looking to step up. If, you know, you get certain amounts of uh, money donated, they're, they're going to match that. So that's great. Um, but we, we're just trying to get as much in, as, obviously, as possible. Uh, obviously, the requests are coming in pretty pretty hot for some help um, from all the kidney patients right now. So any money that can uh, be donated would be fantastic. You know, uh, it could be a dollar. It could be $10. It's all going to go and help uh, families in need for sure. The website is at kidney.ca slash emergency fund. Um, does it feel like you were on the ice two months ago with the Hurricanes playing the Leafs? I mean, that feels like another lifetime to me. <laughs> it does. I, I was actually talking about that yesterday to uh, one of the guys from work. Uh, they, it does It does feel like I, I almost feel like I haven't played in a while. You know, I haven't put the pads on for what, over a month, I guess, now, if if not more. Uh, so it's tough. You, you know, you feel like this thing even happened. You have to kind of watch videos if you want to remember it at some point, right? When you say work, do you mean the Carolina Hurricanes or something else? Uh, no, I, I actually took a, <laughs> a, a job. So it actually, it's great because I can work from home. But I'm on a lot of conference calls, right? So uh, you get to talk to a lot of people, and it's new uh, for me. So a lot of people kind of are interested in the story. So we just kind of chat about that. And I guess you can't even go to the Hockey Hall of Fame right now to see your equipment there, or, or did you have a chance before it sent? Or no, actually, when the, the stick went into the Hall of Fame, that was the first time I'd been there, so it was kind of cool to have my own stick go into the Hall of Fame, uh, being the first time I've actually been in, into the Hall. So uh, that was pretty surreal. 
Well, it is crazy how uh, life repeats. Uh, you uh, having your, you know, transplant during SARS. Here we are during COVID nineteen, and you're uh, involved again in a very uh, different way. Uh, David, I, I appreciate you uh, joining us today. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. That is uh, David Ayers, a hockey hero, a kidney transplant uh, patient. Again, the website, if you'd like to help uh, donate, is kidney.ca slash emergency fund. Uh, they are looking to uh, you know raise money to help uh, with the short-term financial assistance and uh, peer support for people who uh, do need to uh, travel for some uh, kidney uh, uh, dialysis. And it is... Um, an anxious time for many, none the least of which uh, the uh, kidney and organ transplant uh, patients among us in general. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. You may have heard in the news earlier this week that the federal government has given up its fight against uh, court rulings that effectively outlawed placements in solitary confinement lasting longer than 15 days. It may have gone under the radar uh, for you. There is a lot going on these days from the pandemic to the uh, shooting in Nova Scotia. I I want to talk about it, though, because I think it's interesting to where we are right now. So in a notice to the Supreme Court of Canada on Tuesday, the government said it was discontinuing its appeal to attempt a ruling from Ontario uh, to appeal a ruling from Ontario's top court that found long term segregation to be cruel and unusual punishment. In its ruling in March last year, the Ontario Court of Appeals said placing prisoners deemed a risk to themselves or others in segregation for more than 15 days amounted to cruel and unusual punishment and was therefore unconstitutional. So I think it's interesting the news comes at a time when we are all self-isolating due to the COVID-19 pandemic. That is not to compare your home to a jail cell, but self-isolation and the feeling of being alone extends beyond solitary confinement. To talk about this, we are joined by Dr. Vivian Lee, a clinical psychologist based in Toronto. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Hi, Devin. What could what we know about solitary confinement help us understand issues people may be experiencing with uh, self-isolation right now? Well, you, you nailed on the head when, when you were talking about the, um, the, the social aspect. I mean, humans are very social creatures. Uh, we, you know, we need our tribe. We, we, need, uh, we need people to, you know, to help with you know, soothing us and uh, just kind of keep us grounded in reality. And when we don't have access to that, especially if we're not choosing it, right? It's one thing if, you know, you're kind of a loner and you prefer it that way, very different. But uh, even then, you have the choice to, you know, go to the park or go to the coffee shop and just be around people if you want. So when you're in self-isolation or solitary confinement, it just is not by choice and you don't have the option to go out and see people. We're losing that social connectedness. We're losing that, that feeling of control and, that, and feeling that we have some control over our day-to-day. It's interesting, you know, there's a TV show uh, that I know some people watch. I've seen a couple episodes called Alone, where people are out in the elements and part of it is surviving, but the other part is just surviving by yourself and not having anyone to talk to. And that 
social element tends to wear on people and can sometimes be more difficult than the elements themselves. And so I think, you know, that point you make about us being social people is really key with all of this, because the longer this goes, I wonder what sort of impact it has on people. Absolutely. And, you know, it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint as well, right? If you were a loader, you know, 500 years ago, you weren't going to survive very long. So people survive and also thrive by being in their tribes and being in their communities. And so the longer this goes on, you know, we're getting more and more wrapped inside our heads. And, you know, depending on, on what kinds of thoughts we're having, what kinds of feelings we're having, we have no one to help, you know, bring us back to reality. No one. I'm not saying that people lose touch with reality necessarily, but, uh, you know, we tend to get lost in our worries and our concerns and, uh, you know, what's going to happen and how am I going to cope with this? And when we don't have someone to help ground us and just you know, bring us back to the present, it can be very difficult, especially as time goes on. How do we get that grounding? Can, you know, video chats make up for that or maybe maybe 60% of that, would you say? Of course, it's, uh, you know, virtual connection is, is never going to be the same as in-person connection, but we are lucky in the sense that this is happening in, in our time of technology. I mean, you know, before, you know, four or five weeks ago, I never ever video chatted with anyone. It just, you know, I wasn't a fan of it. But, of course, I've had to stay connected with my clients that way and stay connected with friends and family. And it, the the nonverbals really make a difference. So, I mean, it, even if you can't or don't want to engage a video chat, you know, phone, texting, however you can stay connected is very important. But I do think the video chats do add that added element when you're able to make the eye contact, when you're able to read someone's body language. It really helps it connect you to. There's something about that eye contact with someone else that can, that can really, um, you know, bring that sense of humanity back to your day. I've read a lot over the past couple of weeks about how extending deadlines can have, you know, a, a hard impact on people in terms of, well, if we say it's going to be over at one point and then it isn't, and then it's over at one point and it isn't, and then that can wear on people. I wonder what it could be like when we have every province, state, country handling this differently and people in one area, maybe with restrictions, are a bit harsher than others, how people react to that and how that could impact their self-isolation. I mean, that's a tricky one, especially if, um, you know, if your finances depend on uh, on self-isolation. If, you know, if you're unable to work or keep your business going when the self-isolation is going on, you're going to feel the sense of injustice. And, you know, why are other people able to go back and, and uh, start making a living again? And I can't. And, you know, that factors into it as well. But, um, you know, it, it's very hard to see, you know, on the news or on social media, oh, like my friends or family over here are able to go out and get together. And I really miss that. I really miss them. And I need to be around people. And it can it can potentially further that sense of self-isolation when we see other people getting together and we can't. And that's when it's going to be especially important to to stay connected to whoever you can. You know, try to focus on the stats and, and uh the evidence for what's going on around you to try to reduce that sense of injustice, you know, because what's happening in the GTA, for example, could be very different than what's happening in, in the Yukon. Um, so keeping grounded in terms of what's happening around you, uh, rather than getting lost in the nether regions of the, the interwebs, um, but also staying as connected as you can to, to whoever's in your life. What impact could all the talk of a second wave have on people as they try to navigate this first wave here? People are terrible with uncertainty. They're terrible with that um, lack of feeling that they have control, myself included. That's just how we are. We, we, we need to know 
what's going to be happening as much as possible. I mean, people can tolerate a lot if they know it's been a certain amount of time. So if people, if we know, okay, everything shut down for two months and then we'll get back to it, that's still very difficult. But then we know that there's an end date. And it's, it's very difficult because it could be a few months. It could be, you know, they're talking about waiting until a vaccine is developed. And so there is that anxiety or fear of when am I going to be able to, A, get back to normal, B, when can my kids go back to school, when, I, when can I, you know, get back to work. And so we can drive ourselves into a giant tizzy with the what's going to happen, what if, what if. And these are very valid concerns. I'm not saying to brush them off, but we can, we can only focus on what we have in our control right now. Right. So, you know, if you have to, you know, sit down virtually with your financial planner, you know, if you have to, you know, problem solve childcare and work issues, sit down, try to problem solve, prepare as much as you can, and then just try to focus on your day to day because we can't predict what's going to happen in six months. We can't prepare for all the potential scenarios. All we can do is try to prepare for what we can anticipate coming and then try to accept as hard as it is that. There are some things I can't know. There's there are things that are outside my control, and all I can focus, all I can control right now is what's around me day to day in this moment. That is a good advice, uh, Doctor uh, Vivian Lee. I pre- appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Devin. That is uh, Dr. Vivian Lee, a Toronto-based clinical psychologist. We need to pause. When we come back, we'll have more of the morning show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. On Thursday, the federal government announced $1.1 billion for a national medical and research strategy, almost a third of which is aimed at expanding national testing and modeling to better prevent the spread of COVID-19 while a vaccine is in development. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says a vaccine is the long-term solution, but until then, we need to slow the spread to start reopening the economy. So $350 million is going towards more testing and modeling with a new task force. Now, I mentioned this Right now, there is a tremendous amount of work that has been done to find ways to combat COVID-19 from vaccines to treatments to testing to equipment and everything in between. A vaccine is important, but that's also a little ways off. Finding ways to make getting through this easier for health professionals, hospitals, health companies, everything in between is really important. So, That's the introduction. What I want to talk about, though, is, and what I want to bring your attention to is Ramtin Ray uh, Sulin Edzad, who is um, a researcher at MITAX and a Western University PhD student. He has come up with a way to help healthcare workers screen patients during emergencies, which is pretty cool. Uh, We are now joined by Ramton to talk about that. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much and good morning. So what have you designed here? If I want to give a very brief description, uh, actually this is a 40-foot unique uh, mobile medical triage unit. It has its own power sources uh, to supply the load. It can be connected to the current utility grid or uh, operate in the island mode. It has several beds inside of it, enough space and electrical and mechanical features for medical grade equipment, such as ventilators and so on. It can be deployable anywhere and ready to operate by only pushing a start button. 
it's rated for minus 20 to 45 degrees or also it can be for minus 40 which can be completely capable of canada it's rated for the harsh weather it had its own hvac system which is the heating ventilation and air conditioning along with the hepa filter and negative pressure uh, pressure uh, they can filter the pollution and also kill or inhibit bacteria viruses mold fungus microbial growth both on the inside of the unit and also outside of the unit it's uh, quite uh, the piece of equipment. Uh, this was uh, something that was uh, supported and funded by uh, MyTax uh, to get this uh, going and to where we are right now. What was the inspiration for this? The inspiration, uh, to be honest, was to ease the pressure of on hospitals, helps us our frontline nurses, doctors, and help our communities. And yes, it was from MyTax. Uh, MyTax funded me. Uh, we are the Western University and AVL Manufacturer. For some, sorry, uh, for something that you were talking about, you know, could be a, in terms of different temperatures and whatnot, it sounds like this could be something that could be used uh, beyond the pandemic, obviously, but it could be transformed in a couple different ways. Exactly, yeah. Uh, this unit, uh, uh, before uh, I go to that part, I can mention that this unit uh, has the capability to add the renewable energy on top of that one. And based on the, all of these features, after the situation is resolved, uh, since this unit doesn't require external source of power, they are ideal for remote locations, six nations or uh, northern communities, these areas which is difficult to get access to the hospitals or even the power generation. And um, also for uh, some natural disaster like flood or uh, tornadoes or wherever people doesn't have enough space for the hospitals or uh, even the electricity. These units uh, can be deployable really fast. Is this something that's in use or will be in use uh, soon? And uh, we are uh, uh, under uh, uh, manufacturing the first one. It would be ready by two weeks. And after that one, uh, in each month, uh, week, we can build uh, six to eight units. It is uh, quite incredible, Remton. I certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a very good day. You as well. That is Remton Reisulinzad. He is a MyTax researcher and Western University PhD student. It is quite uh, the uh, piece of uh, equipment to help screen workers, to help healthcare workers screen patients during emergencies. And there is so much that has come up already from this in terms of ways to adapt and evolve to what is happening during the pandemic. It, it makes you hopeful that, you know, there could be a treatment or maybe a vaccine that is found sooner rather than later. But also, I think we do have to have, when we look at the long-term picture and people look forward to a vaccine, there is, you know, a whole process a vaccine has to go through to ensure it is safe and it is doing what it is supposed to do. And so 
there's got to be, you know, clinical testing and, and everything that goes on. You can't just, you don't just have something that you think works and looks like it works and just say, okay, let's do it. That maybe could be the answer, but you don't really know until you test it. So I think we do have to caution ourselves against anything that sounds too good too soon. And for some of these treatments, unfortunately, some of which are being pushed forward by the president of the United States, I would take what, and this is to be, this is being extremely charitable. I would take what the president of the United States says with a huge grain of salt. What he was talking about during his daily press briefing yesterday um, was reckless. And I'm worried people will see it and follow suit just because the president of the United States was uh, talking about. And you got to be careful. You got to be careful where you get your medical advice. And that includes, unfortunately, from the president of the United States. There is no quick fix for this. But that's the... The, the the that's where we are right now right people are worried about what's going to happen people want this to be over we all want this to be over i want this to be over but it's uh it's gonna the virus does not follow our schedule it follows its own schedule and so the way we can better screen patients with you know something like uh what has been developed here all the better, you know, rapid testing that we can do on the fly to help the economy open in some ways, all the better. There are ways we can do this in a responsible way so that long-term, uh, we don't have to be doing this again. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Let's end the show with some of the uh, lighter coronavirus uh, news out there. New survey says uh, the classic family Sunday drive is back as people look for anything, anything they can do to get out of the house. Not a ton of options uh, to uh, get the kids out of the house, but this isn't just uh, parents. 60% of parents and 45% of non-parents say they have started taking long, leisurely Sunday drives as an activity to get out of the house. Survey also found that 53% of parents have hid in their car <laughs> uh, to get away from their home and their kids. More than one in four people have used their car as a temporary office. Have you been hiding in the car to get away from the kids? Is that a good hiding place to get away from kids? I don't know. Maybe it is. American Idol will start its live rounds this Sunday, but it's not going to actually be live. It's going to be socially distanced as well. This could get weird. So the contestants are going to record their performances the day before. Then Ryan Seacrest and the judges will watch those recordings together and comment on them as a group. The finale will be done the same way, except the results will be live. So are people still lining up or how is that? I don't know how that's happening. They're doing this because 
everyone's coming from a different location, so they need to figure out a way to do the show. I, I mean, can you not just, I guess you can't put the show on hold. I mean, I'm not an American Idol fan. I really don't care. But if you're an American Idol fan, maybe you're excited for this. There will also be more than one elimination per week. The contestants may not be able to sing on the big stage, but they are sprucing up their own homes before America gets to see inside them. A producer says, quote, one of our contestants took it upon himself to build a little stage in his garage with backdrops. It looks amazing. Okay. There is a new uh, Michael Jordan documentary out. It's called The Last Dance. I have not seen it yet, but I want to. One of the funny things about the documentary, apparently, is uh, Barack Obama, you know, the uh, former president of the United States, is described on screen as former Chicago resident. Okay. He's in the documentary to talk about uh, because what it was like when MJ joined the Bulls. But when Obama appears, it does not say former president, just former Chicago resident. Okay. I guess that's true. Uh, kind of under underplays it, but it is true. One of the weirdest stories of the week is courtesy of some doctors in Australia who wondered if farts could spread coronavirus. To which one of the doctors in Australia said, no bare bottom farting. And so the story I read on this was fantastic. This is how the story started. One of my favorite lead lines. The smell may be hell, but the mist could leave you pissed. So apparently a researchers pondered whether flatulence itself is an aerosol generating procedure. And I'm quoting there. They determined yes. So a recent study suggested that a post-flush post toilet plume could be the cause of concern for some people when it comes to spreading the coronavirus via aerosolized feces. Scientists have confirmed that fecal-oral transmission itself is an issue due to the presence of the virus in our fecal matter which is why health officials in Oregon and New York have cautioned against oral contact with feces during sex. Uh, they did say, though, there's not a great deal of research on this, so they cannot come to a firm conclusion about the perils of passing COVID-19 to someone else while passing gas. We want to make sure you have all the information you need to on this show. The world's last blockbuster is located in Bend, Oregon, and they're still doing business right now. This this blockbuster is like a cockroach. It just will not die. And I say that with respect as a compliment. Uh, they are offering curbside pickup, so I would love to talk to people in Bend, Oregon, who are still ordering from this blockbuster. But maybe if you're in Bend, it's become you know, a point of privilege for you just to keep this thing going. Uh, a fantastic story uh, this week came out of Sacramento where a news reporter in Sacramento accidentally filmed her husband naked in the shower as she did a live broadcast from the home. 
Melinda Meza is a correspondent for KCRA3 in Sacramento and is usually based in Joaquin County, where she acts as the bureau chief for the region. During a report about tips on how to go about hairstyling while quarantined at home, a figure could be seen in the shower. It is believed to be her husband, who, if you look at the picture, uh, appears to be quite naked. Google searches for how to make homemade sex toys have gone up significantly in the past month, apparently. This is a, a new item I'm telling you about. This is not in Melinda's story. The Chicago Tribune recently put up a new column advocating for uh, solo sex during quarantine. The things we search for. Music may help boost your immune system. So, uh, so crank your music. Toilet paper scams are spreading online where you uh, pay big money for miniature rolls, just go to the store. Uh, from what I've seen, it's not an issue buying toilet paper anymore. Don't buy your toilet paper online. There are no sports right on right now, except for Taiwan's Baseball League. Uh, there, You might have seen the video of this a couple of days ago. There was a video that went viral because they had a uh, <laughs> a brawl. Someone charged the mound. Not exactly a social distancing in Taiwan with uh, that happening. Uh, I love this story. A man in England pulled out his own tooth with a pair of pliers after he couldn't get an emergency dentist appointment during the lockdown. Please don't do that. And a woman in Idaho could face jail time for violating the state's stay-at-home order by having a yard sale. Yeah, she should. Uh, my thanks to Deborah Mountenay, to Alan Smith, to Charles Moran, to uh, Mia and her mother Melissa from uh, Toronto. They are uh, Mia's a starlight child. To David Ayers, to Dr. Vivian Lee and Rampton Raisulin Zad for coming on the show. Uh, Jacqueline Carbone is our content producer. Nick Van Overloop is our technical producer. Andy Bingle and Steve Spruill are engineers. Stay tuned for the Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and the Afternoon Show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. We'll be back in 69 hours.